You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Wayne Walker is one of two Albany Ward councillors in Auckland. We've often caught up for a few chinwags on the beaches of Whangapura, but it's been a while since I chatted with him, so let's see what he thinks about Auckland's transport woes and congestion charging. He joins me now. Welcome to The Crunch, Wayne. Pleased to have you on board. Sure, thanks for having me. Now, Wayne, you're the one of the two Albany councillors that look after an area basically from Campbell's Bay all the way up the coast, including Whangapura up to Waiwera. Isn't that right? That's right. And there are two local board areas. The one that runs up the coast, that's Hibiscus and Bays. And then the other local board area is Upper Harbour, which runs from East Coast Road all the way almost to the Northwestern Motorway. So that takes in the Albany Basin, Otiha Valley Road, Constellation Drive, Paramaramo, Green Heights. um, It's a huge area that you have to look after. West Harbour. It's a big area, you know, well over 200,000 population, more than that actually, probably 220, 230. So, yeah, a big area. Of course, when you're elected as a councillor, you're elected um, as a regional councillor. So, of course, you take a particular interest in your ward, but you're making decisions and you're committed to Auckland as a whole. Yeah, and your area that you're responsible for has got huge amounts of development uh, happening there. And the last government uh, committed to finally building that bridge that's going to give better access to Whangapura Peninsula. That's a long time coming, that's, isn't it? That's correct. I mean, the main driver for it was reducing congestion through Silverdale because Silverdale's become a, a real bottleneck. The cars that go to Whangaproa from the city, they have to travel through uh, Silverdale. Obviously, you've got the cars coming from Silverdale itself and Arewa and Red Beach, yeah. and you've got cars going east and west. So the idea of Penlink increasingly is it helps to take some of that congestion off that point. And you're right, there are big developments. You've had Millwater, and now there's Mill Dale over the other side of the motorway, which is going to have quite some thousands of homes. I used to live in your area, and every now and then we'd catch up on Arkles Bay and have a bit of a chinwag about various yeah, issues yeah, and right. things like that. <laughs> so Lovely we've spot. All, we've always had a, a, a convivial relationship, haven't we, even though I can be confrontational sometimes. But I've always found you very easy to to talk to and totally approachable. But there's sure. some well, there's some issues that Whangapura in particular has, isn't there? I mean, we had the super city. We were supposed to have a homogenised rates and all of those things, but rubbish collection is still a bugbear for many of the residents around there. That's right. Having said that, that's largely been made the same across the region. We've had the recent rollout of the uh, food scrap bins that I certainly have some issues over. I would have preferred it to be optional so that if you don't want to use it, you don't have to pay for it. In my particular case, I have something called a hungry bin, which is a form of worm farm. It's incredibly efficient, and that's far better for the council than me putting some food scraps out having them picked up in a vehicle with the consequent emissions, trucked all the way down to Reparoa, uh, put through some form of bio um, digestion. 
system and then the trucks come back to Auckland. So um, I save the council a bit of money and do a well, better job. And That's the thing. I talked to Kim Turner about that and he's got a real bugbear about that whole food scraps thing. And, you know, I don't live up that way now. I mean, I live in an apartment building in Takapuna and the food scraps bins just won't work in apartments. That is correct. Well, I guess I guess the good news is that uh, you won't be paying for that service if you're in an apartment. That's my well, understanding. Well, I've got a waste disposal as well, so I'm not really totally green like you with you know, worm farming and those sorts of things. But each to their own, I say. Sure, sure, that's right. That's right. Now you mentioned about the congestion, and you know I used to travel up and down through Silverdale, getting onto the motorway, getting home, the long tail that would be from the Silverdale off-ramp all the way back to past Otihar Valley every night, you know, from about 3.30 to onwards. In the morning, you would uh, start hitting the tail around Otihar. The transit or Waka Kotahi or whatever they call themselves now spent an inordinate amount of time in about six years developing extending the busway to Otiha Valley and at the same time creating about two and a half kilometres of five lanes either side. But it's kind of like not joined up thinking and we've got, we've got um, you know, a situation where you've got two lanes feeding into five which then feed into two and the reverse going north exactly the same. All they seem to have done is move the congestion that caused about two and a half kilometres closer to Auckland City. Sure, that's right. And they recognise that from the outset. So uh, when I've inquired, they've, they've said, look, we expect things to be just as congested. What it has done, though, is it does make it easier to get onto the Upper Harbour Highway. Absolutely. Because you've got a series of flyovers, and and that's got to be a better thing. Of course, that takes you over to the Northwestern Motorway, which is if not more congested. It's, but it's, okay until, to, it's okay until you get to Henderson and then you hit the congestion, so you're stuffed either way. <laughs> Henderson is diabolical, you know, and I don't think that uh, there's any simple solution there. There's a, a busway that's going into play and that will make some difference. And certainly the, the Northern Busway has been hugely successful. I was on the steering committee that worked on that for a number of years. It's exceeded expectations, and that's certainly been great. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I thought the busway was a good idea, separating, taking the buses off the motorway. But again, you know, when they extended it a little bit or changed it around, especially at Silverdale, they built a car park at Silverdale, and then almost immediately after it opened, they then had to extend it and then do it all again. It, it seems like there was uh, two or three goes at trying to get the car parking right. And even now, if you drive past the car parking at Silverdale and certainly at Otihar Valley, every car park's taken. So it's like they've sure, sure. it's like they've only done a half-assed job on, right. on the parking. Why didn't they build a, a multi-level car park building to cater for it? Because they're going to have to do something like that eventually. Well, I was a Rodney District Councillor before I was an Auckland Councillor. and. Most of the other Rodney District councillors, they um, they weren't at all interested in buses and the like. I was pretty much a lone voice. Mm. And I tried to get the then council to buy a much larger area of land for the park and ride 
as yeah. they could have bought much more for actually very little extra extra cost. But they wouldn't do it. Uh, I don't know what what the reason for that is. Um, there weren't adequate reasons given because I said to them, look, if you buy the extra land and you don't need it, it's going to be worth a lot of money. Uh, you could sell it and basically you know, fund the entire park and ride. But I didn't have support, so that didn't happen. So you're absolutely right. The park and ride at Silverdale is at capacity. It spills over into the Silverdale rugby parking yep. over the road and further along. And that situation is, is going to keep growing because getting to the park and ride on a feeder bus takes a long, long time. Yeah. So if you're on Whangapra, um, over in O'Rear and the like, and you want a quicker trip into town, you either get dropped off at the park and ride or you drive there and park up, and then you're on a fast service into the city, which is what people want. They want something that's fast, they want it convenient, and they want it easy. And the park and ride at Silverdale is very successful, and so is the one at um, Otihavili Road which is the biggest one. And that's at capacity too now. It's been at capacity for some time. So people park along at a reserve called Hooton Reserve. Yep. Unfortunately, there's very poor biking and walking facilities, um, particularly biking, to get from the park and ride to where you want to park. So one of the things that I'd like to see happen is that Auckland Transport get behind much more of these e-bike facilities yeah. So you can pick up an e-bike somewhere in the vicinity and and get to the park and ride quickly. That would enlarge the catchment of the park and ride. That's got to happen. The biggest problem that I see with public transport, and uh, you know, in 2010 uh, I was campaigning against you, but we had a bit of fun on the uh, in at the public yeah, meetings okay. and things like that. Yeah, and uh, I wasn't expecting to win. I just wanted to get rid of the clown from Campbell's Bay, and we succeeded in doing that. But the one thing that I found amazing was every public meeting we went to, there was always talk about improving public transport. And I used to facetiously say, everybody says they want better public transport, but no one's prepared to ride on it. It's something that they want for everybody else. And then somebody described to me the other day that public transport tends to have a definition that is a slow and expensive way of traveling from not where you are to not where you want to be at a time that doesn't suit you in the company of people you'd never let into your home. And I don't know how, okay. we, can, I don't know how we can ever address that. Because <laughs> it's sure, kind of funny. Sure. But... And unfortunately, there are forms of public transport like the Gulf Harbour Ferry Service mm. that does take um, people from... Whangapra into the city where they want to go, it is convenient, it is faster than using the bus, but the ferry service has been run down to the point where there's only one peak service in the morning city bound and one yep. coming back in the in the evening and that's a campaign that myself and my fellow councillor John Watson have putting uh, have been putting a lot of effort into to get the ferry service um, up and running again, but we're striking any amount of opposition from Auckland Transport, who seem to be very reluctant, mm. and are now talking about eliminating the service completely in the upcoming long-term plan process, which you can imagine is incredibly upsetting 
for the people in Whangaparaa and the Hibiscus Coast because the biggest number of submissions to the recent regional public transport plan, I think well over 40% of them, were on the Gulf Harbour Ferry Service. Yeah, I mean, that's a very popular service uh, and it's it's extremely well um, received by, you know, I've had lots of people I, you know, were friends with up that way that would always take the ferry in to town and it arrives at the bottom of town where they want to be and all of those sorts of things. But, you know, you've actually hit on something that's kind of been annoying me uh, is that almost all of the problems that we have around congestion, around public transport, around these sorts of things, almost always come back to the responsibility of Auckland Transport. And, you know, we had last week, um, yeah, the media announced that Auckland uh, Council is now going to deploy congestion charging. Of course, what the media didn't say is you're actually not doing that. You're um, going to investigate congestion charging. I wrote an article saying saying that this is an important thing. We need to actually have some discussion with us on, on because it seems that Auckland Transport has actually contributed in many ways to increasing congestion by pushing for bike lanes, by reducing road surfaces. Uh, You know, we've got a situation where they're creating these bike lanes uh, in some places and street sweepers can't clear the detritus uh, that occurs, you know, in the gutters and things like that. And this is where the cyclists have to go, meaning that they don't actually use it. They now cycle on the road. So the road surfaces reduced for vehicles and the cyclists don't use the things that they're using. Then we've got, you know, these traffic lights at the on-ramps which hold everything up. And the latest manifestation of craziness is these raised almost judder bars uh, for uh, pedestrian crossings at a cost of something like, I've heard, $450,000 per one. Um, in Takapuna, yeah, there's three of, of them. Sure, and, and they're going to be signalised. I mean, I I drove along that road today, mm. and you know it was off peak. It was okay, but uh, peak time, you'll just be bumper to bumper if the cars are slowed down even further. The other problem with those raised uh, crossings, and we're experiencing it in a number of locations around Auckland, is it means that when you have a storm event and you have a lot of rain, it's and a dam the road becomes an overland flow path, it actually causes flooding. And this has happened with uh, shops in Devonport. Mm. It happens around the bays, you know, where you've got locations like Browns Bay and and other areas where you've got um, shops where the floor of the shop is near enough the level of the footpath, okay? And that's not always a bad thing because, you know, you want people and disabled people to be able to get around easily. But it means that if the drainage doesn't work and the drainage on the road doesn't work, you can get some very bad flooding. And I know that the Devonport Business Association were taking Auckland Transport to court, I think, because, yes, they did, because some of these raised crossings had not been thought through. And Auckland Transport has now had to back down because of that. And that's just over the over the flooding issue. And certainly you're right. In a number of instances, it's highly questionable whether you need something when 
there are other things that could happen. I'll, I'll give you another example. Mm. There's a proposal to put a number of these raised crossings in Browns Bay. Yep. And the reason is for safety um, improvements and the like. Of course, often there aren't actually any records of accidents, but nevertheless, these crossings are still going to be put in because they're heavily subsidised by um, Waku Katahi, NZTA, you know, mm. um, public money. But if you take a location like Browns Bay in the flat part of Browns Bay where the shops are and the like, that whole area could be made a lower speed zone. Yeah. And that's going to happen anyway. Once you've got lower speeds, you have far less accidents, okay? So you don't necessarily need to put all these raised crossings in when there are other more effective, far more economical solutions. And in some of these um, areas, the cars aren't often travelling more than 30 k's an hour anyway, you know? I mean, that's the um, thing, so isn't it, is that who asked for these? Like, like if you talk to local residents and you say, who asked for these pedestrian crossings to be done this way? Who asked for um, take Takapuna and Hurstmere Road pedestrianising parts of Takapuna Road and creating oh, Hurstmere Road and creating a cycleway that goes both ways up one side that you never see a bike on? Who sure, asked for this right. stuff? That's right. And the answer is almost nobody asked for these things. And AT has gone about spending vast sums of ratepayers' money on solutions for problems that don't exist. And then that is that is correct. And, and then and, and, and on if top I could just add something. Sure. Go ahead. Sure. If I can just make a make a comment, what myself and I think many people in the community have an issue with is there are often many other opportunities where very modest amounts of money are needed to make a change. For example, you know Otiha Valley Road, okay? Yep. Uh, you've got the busway there, uh, you've got the tennis centre, you've got a big um, shopping complex and a big stadium that um, part of council has put up a proposal to demolish and there's a huge campaign against that. But anyway, let's just put that to one side. What we need to do with Otiha Valley Road is simply widen some of the existing footpaths so you can cycle off-road on a shared footpath cycleway at very modest cost. But we simply can't get that to happen because all the money's been spent on what I call gold-plated solutions that, as you've identified, sometimes there aren't too many people using. They didn't ask for them. They don't use them. And we've spent millions and millions of dollars. And the net result in many of these areas where these things have gone is we've caused congestion. And then we have the mayor suggesting we need to bring in congestion charging. And I'm sitting here shaking my head and say, hang on a second. Sure, we, sure. We, we elected uh, Wayne Brown to give um, AT the bash because we're frustrated with, with their intransigence and their seemingly uh, unwillingness to actually provide traffic solutions. And what we're getting is, oh, we need to pay for the congestion that they've caused. Sure, and that's against the background where the alternatives just aren't there. So as you point out, you're bashing people. You're trying to encourage them to take an alternative. That might be public transport. But if the public transport doesn't get them 
where they want to go, when they want to go, um, conveniently, that doesn't work. No. And and I guess I guess the other thing, and it, it's the thing that really worries me, and it's the problem that we've seen where um, sometimes quite a bit of parking is being removed for um, dedicated um, cycleways and these raised tables and the like, mm. is you haven't got often the parking that's needed for the survival of local businesses, particularly if you've got a dairy or something and, and you know, people need to be able to pull up, um, pop in, get something, and then they're on their way. Yeah. Um, so the consequence is that businesses shut down, you don't have the ability to shop local, you then got to travel further afield to get what you want, it just makes congestion worse. We need communities that are human scale, that have got as many local facilities as possible close to where you live, so that you don't have to make such a long trip. But we seem to be making it very difficult for businesses to stay alive, and it's tough out there, very tough. Yeah, I mean, it is very tough. If, and I've, I know, have noticed a lot of the developments around that you end up with endless traffic cones, traffic management. Uh, you never know whether you can go down a road or not. Um, in the end, you just go, oh, you know what, I'll just shop online. And that's, well, the, no, that's the, no good for the stores and the store owners, and it's no good for the areas that have those things and it just dies and dies and dies and we end up all sitting in our apartments or our houses doing everything on zoom and and um buying everything online and we don't end up with any interaction with people sure that's right the the cone situation seems to be over the top far more cones than you would think practically are necessary often lights and and, and the like um, I experienced uh, a situation just this last week where, you know, all of a sudden you're confronted with these cones. There's no signage further back causing you to detour so you can get around it um, when, you know, quite often that's practical. So people get stuck in these things and it causes huge disruption, huge disruption. Sometimes you've just got a very minor job and associated with that job, you can have multiple roads in the vicinity, especially when the work's in the vicinity of an intersection, yep. um, you know, causing delays. And where are the checklists? You know, I just don't know. One of the things that a number of councillors are asking for is exactly what is the, the pricing, what is the charging around these cones? Do we pay per cone? Um, how does it work? We need to get that information because, as you've pointed out, it's costing a huge amount of money to even small jobs. Yeah, I mean, each, one, we of need to cone, get, each one of those cones costs about $200. That's right. They're expensive. Yeah, and someone's got to pay for it, and if it's the contractors, they're going to pass that on to the council. And it's the, right, it's the rate payers that end up with it. But you're right, though, there's a lot of – Roadworks and things like like they they recently I mean I, I was astonished to see this actually around Takapuna, just around the corner from me they were doing roadworks and it's a main feeder road in towards the motorway and they actually did all the work at night and I've never seen that before which is fantastic but hey why don't we do that on other things other on other streets instead of all these busy roads getting torn up 
at sure, sure. I mean, probably probably the best project that I can uh, recall when I've done a lot of the work at night was the Northern Corridor improvements in the vicinity of Constellation Drive and so on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Waka Katahi NZTA, to their credit, organised the project, so there was a significant amount of work done at night. And yes, if you were coming home uh, later, you'd have to do a detour and so on. Yeah. But that was far preferable to having significant delays, and they would have been huge delays during the day, so hats off to them. Yeah, I mean, Barry's Point Road was completely relayed in about three days, and that was because they did it at night. You know, but you've seen plenty of other roadworks, and, and a case in point is the is the expansion of the motorway between Otiha Valley and Constellation, where it took five years. And of course, we had COVID in the middle of that, where where we had the stupid government saying that these guys who are working outside by themselves on a roller and a grader had to stay at home. Uh, so it just sure. delayed Great. everything. Just absolute craziness that was going on. But I mean, that was a classic one where they could have worked at night on some, especially the stuff that's not actually on the road, the, the, the expansion mm, works and right. all of those. But but it comes back, doesn't it, to AT? And this is why I was flummoxed by Wayne Brown's uh, supposition that somehow we can charge people to be on the motorway in the congested areas. Is he not aware that he doesn't own those roads? Uh, sure. Having said that, and we don't know precisely how it would work, but it, it's a matter of where you put the cameras that pick yeah. people up. We don't know uh, what the case is, but there's talk about putting them on the uh, on various um, off ramps and on ramps. And I, I guess the question is, well, you know, who owns the off ramps and, and on ramps? Where's the the demarcation line between NZTA and the council. I, I think one of the things that's motivating some people on the council is to try to get some money to offset the loss of the regional fuel tax that uh, the government is, is talking about. Well, but stealing this congestion that charge is not going to be in time for that anyway, you know? no. Well, I mean, that's the thing. that The regional fuel tax has been scalped out of Aucklanders for six years by the previous government. God knows where that money's gone, but Aucklanders have paid for it. Uh, it was ostensibly supposed to pay for the folly of, you know, light rail to the airport, which, again, we don't need. You know, the Northern Busway is the answer for dealing with the airport. Uh, but... Where's all that money gone? And is that going to come back into Auckland? And then if you look at the congestion in the places they're talking about, like from Ellerslie, Panmuir, that, that roundabout there through to Green Lane and then uh, on into the city, almost all of those places when you are getting onto the motorway to head north into the city, the on-ramps are the world's shortest on-ramps, which is what's actually causing the congestion is inappropriate design work on on the actual motorways. And then they've got those stupid lights, which I just ignore anyway because the police can't prosecute you if you go through those red lights. They aren't even allowed to stop you for it. And those are causing mm. congestion that back up onto the uh, suburban roads all around those That's areas. Right. And now because of those things, the, the short 
on ramps, the lights. Uh, of course, there's the traffic and the road and the road design all around there. We've got congestion, and now it seems that we want to charge the long-suffering ratepayers even more money. And there's some question over whether or not it would succeed because if I know anything about uh, human nature, is if there's going to be a tax for using that part of the motorway, most people will go, I'll go around that. And so all you've done is move the congestion from the motorway into the suburban streets now. That is correct. And the other thing that will happen is if you're trying to get more cars off the road at peak time, yes, you may get some cars off the road at peak time, but then you just spread the peak. So the peak goes for longer. And Auckland Transport is well familiar with a concept called induced traffic. What that means is, in very simple terms, when you build roads, they fill up with cars. Okay? Yep. Yep. Um, So if you actually make the congestion on the road less at a certain time, it'll fill up. More people will use it. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me putting in place a penalty to change behaviour and the cost of running that penalty is really expensive because you've got to have these cameras and a whole system. Yep. It, it ain't cheap. The cost of the collection for the northern tollway, uh, the section through the tunnels and the like at the time was relatively expensive compared to what they were getting. If you want to alter somebody's behaviour, you're much better to, to try and use incentives to change that behaviour than penalties. And people respond to um, incentives. If if I were to say to you, Cameron, I'll shout you a cup of coffee if yep. if you change your behaviour in a particular way, there's something that triggers off in your mind and you'll think pretty seriously about that, you know? And the beauty of incentives is it's much more of a voluntary-based system, okay? Mm. Mm. So, for example... If we accept that the idea of the congestion charging is to get people um, off cars at uh, at peak and the like, one of the things that's going to be really important to them is if they've got, say, flexible working hours, if their employer gives them incentives around that, if they can work from home, uh, there may be some form of incentive for parking at a better time. Mm. Those sorts of things really work. What they need often is something called travel planning. So if you've got a big operation, you know, a big company or the like, um, or you've got a number of employees, you actually put together a plan so that they're aware of how they can travel more efficiently, possibly using public transport or other means or car sharing. You might even put together some form of car share proposition for your for your employees and and the like, and and you might even incentivise it, you know? I mean, you might give them an incentive to take um, public transport by buying them a hop card with some money on it or or the like if if that was going to save you on parking if you're a business because the cost of parking is, is great. But the point I'm making is it's voluntary, it works, it's not clubbing people with an expense, and bear in mind that you've got a lot of people who can't alter the time that they work. 
they may not be well off, they're going to be hit severely by this tax. It's really not fair for people that don't have an option. Imagine if you've got uh, you know, two or three jobs that you're holding down or you're a tradie or the like and you've got to get around. You've got a real problem because you're going to be hit with this and you're going to have to load it on to whoever's paying your bills. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Because human nature being what it is, if you're going to put on a tax, you may change people's behavior, but more than likely you won't because they still have to get from A to B. And that's the, even at peak hours, that's the best way to do it. But you also run the risk with the penalties that uh, businesses move out of the CBD. Businesses move, they're already moving out of there. And you go, go to, which is great for, communities in, you know, like Takapuna or Albany or Whangapra, where you've got more people living in and working in particular areas. But there's a there's a vast number of people that can't do that. And so they're going to pay That's the right. tax and it's not going to reduce the congestion because people still have to get about and it's the easiest way to do it. Um, and so then sure, you end and- up, not only do you have the taxes and the huge cost that goes there, and you now you have to use your idea of some sort of subsidy or reward system, and the cost goes up for no benefit. And if we if we take the central city area, and there was a good article by Viv Beck, she's the chief executive of um, Heart of the City, yes. just um, explaining the issues that that we've got in the city with uh, with short stay parking, and the particular problem if the the downtown car park's gone. You know, there's there's a whole lot of people, especially people from outside of um, the uh, city, that depend on that car, car park to get in. They might be coming in for a meal or go to the movie or some form of function or the like. And they're not going to be able to do that because parking in the central city area is getting tougher and tougher. And I guess what I would say is if you've got that car coming in, and it's got a number of people in it, it's actually pretty efficient. And if the car is an electric car and it's got a number of people in it, it may well be adding far less emissions than a bus, especially if it's a diesel bus. So cars aren't all bad. Um, it's, It's a matter of how we use them, encouraging more people to care to use the cars at the right time and use them as efficiently as we can. So one of my huge concerns is the impact of all of these things that have happened. You know, the cones, the um, CRL work in the uh, central city, the works that, that have been done on Queen Street and the like, and the impact on businesses that are the lifeblood of the city. You know, the businesses, the people that work there. It's the getting incredibly rates. tough. Yeah, the, people the people that pay rates, the people that pay tax. And that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it's almost like AT hates ratepayers and they're going to do anything they can because they have this doctrinaire attitude that they know best. And, you know, we've just picked apart congestion charging in, in about 15 minutes and yet we're going to spend millions of dollars presumably studying this for the next couple of years so that we can get an answer that says, Oh, it's too hard. But we, sure. already, know we and, already know that. And I guess one of the things I'd say is that we're also going to be um, out of step with with technology. 
And, and what do I mean by that? One of the problems that the government has got is its revenue, the money that it collects from cars by way of the tax on petrol, is going to go down as more and more people buy electric vehicles. Yep. And there's an electric vehicle revolution happening. Okay? Yeah. But but the government doesn't get any money out of the electric vehicle because it doesn't use any fuel. Okay? So they need to find so, a way to do that. So they'll they will find a way to do that because governments are rapacious and they always need other people. That's to right. So what's what's likely is we will have some form of charging regime for cars, for electric cars, based on the kilometres that you travel, okay? Yeah, like roads and charges. the government's, yeah, and other cities are already, you know, doing this. So the government is going to have to put the technology together to do this. That has to happen sometime in the not-too-distant future. Why wouldn't you wait for that and actually get your act together rather than bringing in some other form of scheme that'll be superseded by that technology. It you doesn't make of, sense to me. No, and, and you're right. And, and just in terms of technology, most public transport solutions in Auckland seem to be around buses. And if you look at any time you know, outside of peak hours, there's these enormous buses that are driving around, often with... Ghost just, buses. Yeah, just with the driver in it fulfilling a contractual obligation to have a bus roll down a road at a particular time. But there's nobody actually using it. It's a little bit like cycleways, right? And they've got all these cycleways That's everywhere, right. and there's no quantification of how many people use it. And the old build it and they'll come argument never works. And that the, is right. Yeah, the proof of that is the car park at Tokapuya at uh, Takapuna that they put all this uh, uh, racks in for people with electric bikes and stuff and it's not used by anybody, but at vast expense. And so we've got ghost buses yet, that are driving yet around. If I just, yep. Yet if I just make a comment there, the car park that has been well used, which is where the market used to be, yep. has been um, impacted on significantly. I know. You know, yep. I mean, that should have stayed. It would have enabled the market to stay. Yep. Um, that's deeply disappointing to a lot of Takapuna and North Shore people. Yeah. And so, again, it's something that we didn't ask for. That's a solution for a problem that doesn't exist at vast expense. And the point I was making about technology is uh, not in the not-too-distant future, we're going to have the technology for, A, driverless cars and driverless buses. It's already happening in large cities in China where they've got the, the scale to do it, but it will become cheaper and more available and all of that. We could be looking at having a larger fleet of smaller buses, you know, if not vans, to cater for the smaller amounts of people during the day instead of these enormous diesel-sucking buses that are driving around that are empty. You're, you're absolutely right, and you're certainly right around the around the technology. Uh, Tesla are the company that are leading that. Mm. They've got one of the largest um, computers on the planet that's receiving information from the most of the existing Teslas that are on the road. And they're all feeding into this giant uh, neural net, it's called, 
that's very intelligent learning technology. Their cars, certainly all the recent cars and, and going back some years now, are all equipped with the, with the cameras and the like so that they can have what's called full self-drive. Mm. And what is that? It means that the driver doesn't drive. The car drives itself, takes you where you want, and it's safer. It's far better than a human driver because it's got 360-degree vision. It can respond. Yep. Um, unfor- unfortunately, some of the um, self-drive options that are operating aren't so good, but the Tesla one, the Tesla version, which is coming and you know, may start rolling out within, within a year, certainly within the next two years, will make a, a quantum change. Mm. And if you add to that the new vehicle that they're working on that they reckon will come in at around $25,000 um, US, yeah. that will revolutionize electric vehicles. And it will mean that if they employ something called their robo-taxi technology, which is where that car that you own is available for other people to use mm. when you're mm. not, you could, be, you could be in the money in the sense that the car is actually not costing you money. It's making money. Well, that's so we've right. We've got m- more efficient cars on the road. And if those cars or small vans, as you point out, are full of people, and they're operating on demand, um, it's far more efficient than a ghost bus that's driving around with hardly anybody, people, if anybody in it, apart from the driver. doesn't the make other, sense. The other thing with the technology, too, is that these vehicles can drive very close to each other because they react far faster than a human can to anything. And that's so, right. So you can get more on the road to that And the key important thing here about that solution is that you can step out onto any street and summon a vehicle from where you live or just outside of where you live, get into this vehicle that will drive you there, allowing you to do things on the way, which you can't do if you're driving because you've got to concentrate on driving, and then take you exactly to where you want to go, which public transport never does. Unless you have an office, Correct. you know, at the train station or the bus station, right? So, so it picks you up from where you want want to be picked up from. It takes you to where you want to go, and then it disappears and goes off and services another customer. And, and what it, you can add to that mm. is it's very cheap. So the the huge concern that I've got is that this is actually happening. The technology is here now. Companies like Tesla are in the process of building the cars, building the system. It is not going to cost the council money because it's private individuals that will make the choice based on cost because it's cheaper to buy into this. But what it does mean is the huge amount of money, and it is a vast sum of money that we're spending on various forms of public transport, Maybe high and dry. Exactly. It, with, it'll just be be dodo technology. Especially if we're talking about light rail or rail to the airport and things like that. Imagine if you had a dedicated, let's call it a busway because it's easy to call it that. Let's a dedicated busway that's also available for autonomous cars. Imagine that, that is correct. And if we and if we talk about that form of busway, 
these buses can operate on a digital busway, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you don't even need the rails in the ground. That's a concept called, say, a trackless tram. Yep. So they know where to go, okay, because they can operate off GIS, um, you know, global positioning and yes. and, um, and uh, so on, and conceivably some current device in the road. I mean, that's the way that technology has moved, which means that um, something that's, that's stuck and fixed, like a light rail um, system, which is hugely expensive, may well be um, completely unnecessary and, here's and the next a big thing. waste of money. And here's the next thing. If there's something goes wrong on the line, that train or light rail system or trolley bus or whatever can't go anywhere, right? It is that's stuck. right. Whereas a vehicle I know. that operates I've been, on the I've been, road... I've been stuck in one. Yeah. That's right. I've been stuck in a... Uh, I, I was stuck in a tram in, in Melbourne once because, you know, uh, there was an accident and mm. the tram stopped and everything on that particular line, all the trams, stopped. Okay? Yep. Whereas if you've got something that's more flexible, that doesn't happen. And as you point out, other vehicles can make use of the space. And then, you know, if there is something on the digital busway that causes a problem, well, that can reroute that onto ordinary roads around that and service carries on. So, sure, you know, that's right. it, it seems that we have this Alice in Wonderland behaviour in government departments and in AT to build fanciful, expensive solutions based on old technology that'll be superseded faster than we can build it. Sure. And the particular concern I've got is when I'm in council meetings, I raise these issues. So I've said to Auckland Transport when they were bringing up this time of use um, congestion charging, I've raised it over light rail, I've raised it over the mm. um, expenditure in buses and the like, and I've said to them, have you modelled what's happening? Have you modelled the change in technology around these new electric vehicles that have got the ability to drive themselves? What does this mean? What does it mean? How does it affect your investments? Have you taken this into consideration? And the answer is no, it hasn't been done. Yeah. So that's a huge concern because we're talking about really big sums of money. And you would know that if there's one thing we're short of right now, we're short of money. Watercare is hitting us up for very large sums of money for projects. And transport is hitting us up for huge sums of money, you know, in the hundreds of millions. Mm. We've got big bills from the storms. You know, our healthy waters department has... Yep got to spend money upgrading um, stormwater. And these are huge sums of money that our council doesn't have. And the only place that we can go is is government to um, to get some money to, to tide us over and look after us. And they don't we're have not it either. Have, and they don't have it either. So we've, we've got a major problem right now. You know, I think technology is the, is the solution in whatever form. And the way you can do that is either two ways. You can go and spend on technology yourself, 
or you can create an environment that supports technology that welcomes companies here to use New Zealand or Auckland in this case as a test bed because or do both or, or do, do both. both yeah but but I'm and, really opposed and, to and certainly sure and and certainly if I can pick up on that I've yeah. said to um I've said to Auckland Transport, look, why wouldn't you reach out to Tesla? Um, exactly. They'll come, and and they will outline what you can do. Okay, um, they'll also outline how to solve the the energy problems because they've got these big, um, you yep. know, giga battery packs and the like that they can put in, yep. so that as you electrify the buses and as you electrify the um, cars you've got these batteries that have taken advantage of the power that's available off-peak to um, help charge things at peak. Now, they've certainly got the the computers and the capacity to model those sorts of things and provide those sorts of solutions. So why aren't we reaching out to companies like that mm. to oh, give exactly. us some suggestions? And that may not cost us any money at all. No, it might not cost us anything other than changing the regulatory environment, which is some legislation or some bylaws or, or whatever. That's easy and cheap to do. It's a whole lot cheaper than building rail lines and tunnels all the way to the airport when no one's going to use it. No one has ever done anything like that successfully in the world ever. But we always seem to think that we can do it better than everywhere else. Sure. And, and you're right that um, Auckland and New Zealand – it's a good test bed for doing stuff, you know, particularly if you're a tech company and you want to try something out. Um, so we should be saying to them, look, um, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. I've been taking a lot of interest in electrification, especially with the Gulf Harbour Ferry Service mm. because the government's pumped some money into Auckland Transport to build some um, electric ferries. But... Um, I was told that you couldn't run an electric ferry up to um, Gulf Harbour. Mm. But um, lo and behold, myself and other people got in touch with a company that's running an electric ferry now down in Wellington. It's running successfully. It's been more successful than what they figured. Mm. And we, we got those people up. They checked out the Gulf Harbour route, and they've told Auckland Transport, yes, you can run an electric um, ferry. It can fast charge either end. Yep. It works. And it can operate on foiling technology, so that lifts it up above the water. Yep. So it's, it's more um, efficient. Yep. Yeah. And, um, of course, it would offer a quicker trip than the current 50 minutes, and you could get down to 40 minutes. That means that the ferry has got a quicker turnaround, so you get a bit of return on the on the asset. Yes. And, of course, as soon as people can get a 40-minute trip rather than a 50-minute trip, a lot yep. more people are going to use it. Well, and all of a sudden... Cheaper and faster than the car. Sure. And the particular thing about, say, taking a ferry like, um, like I'm suggesting is unlike a bus or a train, you can work on the ferry. You know, you can have a chat to your friends. You can have a cup of coffee. You can have a meeting if you want with some other other people. You can use your laptop. So your productivity is improved an awful lot. Yet Auckland Transport at this point 
are looking to cancel that service altogether, which is fundamentally unfair. And that is not something that they're planning to do or any other comparable ferry route in Auckland. So we've had thousands of people submit through the regional public transport plan in good faith, many of them on the Gulf Harbour Ferry Service. Yeah. These people know that the ferry service can operate better, that in the medium to long term we can have electric ferries operating, which is what they're doing elsewhere. But for some reason, they're singling out Gulf Harbour and treating it differently, and that's hugely unfair. And why is that? It's really wow. hard to fathom. It doesn't yeah. add up. Well, you know, talk to Greg Sayers, and, and it, it seems that if you're on the outer ring of the city, you're an afterthought. And that's always been the problem. Everything seems to be centric around the CBD, which is old-fashioned thinking. Um, so we need people like you to be raising this and bringing up these saying, whoa, hang on a second, let's have a look at some alternative solutions. Let's look at some technology. Let's look at these things. Because if we don't, we are going to spend an inordinate amount of money and not actually achieve any solution this side of 10 years. That's right. That's right. We'll be left behind. Yeah. And on that note, Wayne, thank you for your time. I think we've covered quite a lot of stuff, including around congestion and transport solutions. And I'll certainly enjoy having you on the show again. Yeah. Thanks for the chat, Cameron. And thank you to your listeners. Well done. No problem, Wayne. You're welcome Bye. anytime. Thanks a lot. Wayne is one of those genuine nice guys, and there's a reason he keeps getting elected. And as you can hear, he has practical solutions for Auckland's transport issues. Let's hope he can get heard around the council table. Tell me your thoughts on what Wayne had to say by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.